Welcome everybody to a special Giro episode of the Cycling Tips Podcast. I'm Kaylee Fretz and it's Wednesday, May 19th, just about ooh, an hour or so after that crazy Strada Bianchi white gravel roads of Tuscany stage wrapped up at the Giro. We had a ton of GC movement. We had a bit of controversy, perhaps, within the Koenig Quickstep. And so we decided to put together a short special episode for you all. We've got Dane Cash on the line, as always. How are you, Dane? Yeah, doing good. Looking forward to this chat. And Abby. Welcome, Abby. Hello. And Ronan. Hiya. <laughs> Could only be good after watching a stage like that. Right, right. Uh, it was a fantastic stage. It was a, you know, in the last episode of the podcast, which only went up like yesterday, we talked about whether gravel belongs in Grand Tours and in stage racing. I think that was a pretty emphatic yes. That was exceptional racing. As we said before, you know, there's a, there's a line there. It could certainly be a bit too much sometimes if the surface isn't good for road bikes, but that surface is fine for road bikes. And so, yeah, fantastic racing. Maybe before we go anywhere, let's just talk through basically the end result. So we've got a story up on the site already that Abby put together, which is basically the winners and losers of today's Giro stage. Abby, talk us through who won, who lost, sort of where we are after after the Giro's 11th stage. The winner of the stage, GC-wise, is Egon Bernal. Um, his team was amazing, especially Filippo Ghana, but Bernal himself looked totally at home on the dirt roads and even got back a little bit of time. Emmanuel Bookman was also a winner on the day. He took advantage of some of the chaos in the later uh, bits of the stage to attack and get a little bit of extra time. Alexander Vlasov moved up one place, so he's second in the GC now. Hugh Carthy also had a pretty good race. He was dropped on the first sector of cabal, gravel. Gravel. <laughs> he was dropped. Gravel or cobbles or what are we talking about here? Yeah. He was dropped on the first section of gravel, um, but his team really did an amazing job to get him back into that leaders group, and he gained two places and moved up to fourth. Simon Yates also moved up and is now in fifth. Damiano Caruso gained four places and is now in third. So those were kind of the winners on the day. The it could have been worse. Giulio Ciccone, I'm so sorry. I inadvertently maybe jinxed him. <laughs> was it inadvertent? Will we ever know? Was it intentional maybe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll never know. He looked great. He was one of the only GC riders who did stay in the lead group when Filippo Gana really put the hammer down on the first section of gravel. But he got dropped in the end of the stage and lost four places. He's in eighth now. Roman Bardet gained one place, but is still, you know, down there. Not doing super great. Yeah. I think that before we move on, uh, an important point here. It's still really close. So we were sort of talking about all this movement and people going up and people going down. And part of the reason there was so many places gained and lost is because the entire top 10 is still within three minutes or so. And we've got a lot of Giro to go. So, you know, when we talk about Remco Venable having a bad day or somebody else having a good day or a bad day, the, the, the time gaps were not 
Giro ending here today, for the most part. Uh, Dan Martin and Davide Formolo, maybe that was pretty. That was pretty Giro ending <laughs> ending for them. But for everybody else, it's still really really tight. Yeah, yeah. The the real losers on the day were Dan Martin and um, Davide Formolo, who lost ten and nine places and quite a bit of time. And Remco Evenepoel and the Deconic Quickstep team really came out of the stage looking a little bit worse for wear. Remco got dropped. He he didn't make the first split on the first gravel sector, and then he was dropped later in the stage. And there was some controversy controversy with him and Almeida, which we'll get into later. But yeah, so I think I think the easiest way to do this is just we can talk through the contenders themselves, and we'll start with kind of the biggest headline of the day, which was Remco Evenepoel. He did not have a terrible, terrible day, but did not have a great day. And there was a bit of sort of weird intra-team stuff going on. Dane, we've been sort of keeping an eye on on the quotes coming out of this and, and what the riders and the, and the teams are saying. What what do we know about what happened over at Kuna Quick Step today? Not a lot. Um, just for the, the, the basic facts, uh, Evenepoel struggled early in the gravel, got back on, and then uh, the, the penultimate gravel sector, uh, he was really, just didn't look comfortable and lost touch with the group. And, and he kind of kept the gap small. He was riding at the back with a very small gap for a little bit. And uh, Bernal must have found out what was going on because he hit the front on, on his own, just hammered uh, at the front. And that that was kind of the end of Evanapol's hopes of catching back on. And uh, then... Somewhat surprisingly, Evanapol's just kind of stuck at the back with this gap growing. And Joe Almeida was still in that group with Bernal. And, of course, Almeida is several minutes down on GC. There's not really a great reason to keep him up there. Uh, but it took a long time for Almeida to get back and help Evanapol. At one point, Evanapol ripped his earpiece out uh, in frustration. Um, when Almeida got back to him, the gap was already at about uh, one minute. And they worked together to kind of limit their losses from there. It ended up growing to a little over two minutes by the end of the day on that final climb, where I'm not really sure how much help uh, Almeida could give somebody anyway, you know, going up a, a climb and, and with gravel. Uh, but yeah, Evanapol loses a little more than two minutes. And then after the stage, uh, he didn't really talk to the media. So we basically only had quotes in the Belgian media from uh, Team Sport Director. There, there wasn't anything from Evanapol himself. We we. Wait. Breaking news, as this has, as we've been recording this, there is some quotes that just came in from Evenepoel. These are in uh, Wheeler Flitz, which is a Dutch site. The quotes are not anything sort of mind-blowing. Uh, Evenepoel says, unfortunately, I lost two minutes. It was not my best day. I suffered a lot in the second sector and on the third when they started sprinting, I felt that the legs were almost empty. So basically just sounds like he had he had a bad day. And then he did, he did throw in sort of a, a, a thanks to the team. So unclear whether there's actually any sort of animosity after there but at least after the stage he's saying he said i'm grateful to the team and to joao uh, for the work they've done for me today from the start to the finish it's not a good result for me but i'm still seventh in my first big tour i remain confident because it's a long way to milan so he did at least throw some some kudos his team's way um but there, yeah, there appeared to be some frustration in the, middle of the stage and it's unclear whether there's you know there, there could have been radio issues uh or Almeida could have ignored him. Like we we don't actually know, and it's it's um, I don't really want to speculate on why 
Almeida wouldn't have dropped back immediately. I think that that's not really, because we don't know, that's not really a safe thing to do. For what it's worth, Klaus Ludwig, who is the sport director at the kind of quick step, did kind of address the throwing out of the earpiece. Uh, I don't think even if there were an issue that he would say that there was one. But according to Lodewick, uh, it was basically Rem- Remco being frustrated, uh, you know, at, at the situation and himself. I think so. The 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 het newsblad has the quotes of him basically saying, you know, he he had had enough of being encouraged while he was you know on the limit. Um, and nothing about it being anything to do with Almeida. And when Almeida did eventually get back there, which took quite a while, he did really you know pull completely for his teammate. He put everything into helping his teammate. It just took a while. I think anybody who um, has competed in a bicycle event and is having a, a bad time, or any athletic event, and is having a bad time in a particular moment, sometimes cheering is the worst thing for you, you know? So I'm not too surprised that, uh, that he pulled that earpiece out. In fact, my wife, who is standing right next to me at this, at this moment in time, has a great story about uh, a ski race when she was in high school, and she's going up this big, difficult hill, and her dad was at the top and cheering her on, and like you know go Meg, go go Meg, go Meg, and then she just screamed at him as she went by shut up dad and i think that you know remco pulling his earpiece out basically a shut up dad moment <laughs> which i can very much see uh you know being a little bit frustrating he's a young rider he's in his first grand tour he's got a ton of pressure on his shoulders the belgian media has been talking him up as the you know the next uh combination of i don't know eddie Merckx and 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 Chris Froome, and he's just, he's everything to them at this point in time. And to have a moment like that, you know, on global television, with probably somebody in your ear saying, pedal harder, pedal harder, pedal harder, I can see why he would pull that, uh, pull that that microphone, or the uh, earpiece out of his ear. And he, he obviously was quite stressed today as well, or I say he was obviously quite stressed, but what I mean is, when we were watching the, the shots that we were getting off of Venipole, he was clearly not comfortable on on the gravel and he was getting tailed off on on you know almost every descent and you know if you've got that you know you've got the pressure you just spoke about there Kaylee, and then you're finding it difficult in uh, on the terrain that they're racing on today and it is as you know the first rest day he's ever come through and had to get back into racing action the next day and, and the legs aren't good all that coming together is, is is bound to have an effect on on anybody, um, regardless of whether it's your first Grand Tour or your or your twentieth. I think that played a big part, and I think that's why we've seen him struggle so much today as well. It's just that fact that he he, he was struggling on the the gravel, and every time one of those gaps was opening up, we've seen him having to close it on his own. And and you know the stage was already so difficult. If you're having to make so many extra efforts like that, that has a, a huge impact come come the end of the stage. And you know even even the riders who were comfortable on the gravel today and who were racing in that front group, we still seen all the GC favorites coming in in ones and twos at the end of the stage. We don't often even see that in the high mountains. So that that just gives you an indication of just how tough today's stage was. Uh, and then you know for it was effectively even tougher for Evenepoel on a bad day. And having to close so many extra gaps that, you know, that, that that ultimately probably cost him quite a bit in the end there. The question is, can he now rally tonight and kind of get his head wrapped around the lost time and be able to take on the stage on Thursday? Because it's another pretty brutal stage. GC-wise, there's a lot of climbing and maybe it won't be a huge day for the GC riders but if he's already feeling pretty frustrated today and he and his legs weren't there today then 
it's kind of hard to see him getting back up there tomorrow. Yeah, I mean this year is a, a long way from over, but this is this is the first uh, you know it's the first mental test for him this Giro, right? And and that's the, the mental side of a Grand Tour is is not equally as important as the physical side. You can't do it without the physical side, but it's very important, right? And we know that good Grand Tour riders are able to get through stuff like this and come back from this. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he responds. You know, I think that his his sort of general response to his his nasty Lombardia crash is a good sign for, you know, a rider that has a good head on his shoulders. But this is a different kind of pressure. Um, you know, that was something that was out of his hands that affected him. This is him coming back and, and you know, not being able to hold the wheel today. And that's a different kind of pressure that, that gets put on him. So it will be interesting. I think there is a good opportunity for him to take, not a positive from today's stage, but look at it in a positive way that, you know, it is, as we said, the first time he's raced after a rest day and he can look to that as something for some reasoning for why he went poorly today he can also look at the fact that he clearly wasn't comfortable on the gravel and you know it wasn't that he was dropped on a on a normal tarmac stage he was dropped on a gravel stage and then he can also look to the fact that there is a 30 kilometer long time trial at the end of this race and and those three things together i think hopefully can give him some sort of uh positivity to to look forward to and and you know keep keep racing the way we have seen him racing for the last uh, 10 days yeah, I mean, he doesn't have to pull back two minutes in the mountains in the last week, right? He only has to pull back, uh, at this point, probably 30, 45 seconds to be in with a shot with that final time trial. So it's possible. It's possible. Uh, he definitely made it a little more difficult for himself today, but it is completely possible that Remco still takes the Magliarosa at the end of this bike race. Let's move on to some of the other contenders. We can go through some of the rest of them a little bit quicker. Uh, Julia Ciccone, we, we talked a little bit about briefly about him earlier i've been hearing um little birdies have been telling me cycling tips understands that's one of my favorite uh reporter lines there cycling tips understands there's a little bit of it's a little bit of animosity between the two italians in that team at the moment uh and and a little bit of confusion as to who might be who might be sort of truly the leader and a bit of weird sort of generational stuff going on and i wonder i wonder if those two, if, if Nibali and Chicone had actually ridden together today, because they didn't really, uh, they just sort of rode next to each other a lot. I wonder if that could have been a different a different outcome. We didn't see a lot of teamwork from those two today. Well, Nibali did jump on the front of that first uh, gravel sector before Ghana really went for it. He was up there maybe... For his own gains, yes, but it did help Chicone in the end because he Chicone hovered near Nibali the whole time. And so the fact that Nibali made that split meant Chicone also made that split. But Nibali got dropped before Chicone. So even though they both got dropped in the pecking order, if you look at all of the stages up to this point, it's kind of clear who they should be riding for. That being said, Chicone's never ridden for GC in a Grand Tour before. Nibali's won Grand Tours before. So if you kind of go by who's riding the best right now versus who might be riding the best in a week, the answers might be different. But I think if if you're going to kind of look towards the future, there's all of these 
uh, rumors flying around about whether Nibali will stay with the team next year, whether he will move teams next year. Chicone has signed on for multiple years. So as far as the team is concerned, I feel like for them, it's a no brainer to just kind of put all of their eggs in the Chicone basket. Yeah, that's the future of the team for sure. Abby, I put my finger up just now on the camera to talk, but you just said exactly what I was thinking, which is, yeah, <laughs> why would you ride for somebody who is four minutes down and possibly leaving? So I think it's pretty clear they should be riding for Chicone. I can't even say how happy I am that you just said that because that means I actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the fact that you <laughs> would have said oh, the same thing I'm honored thing that you would me. say that. Wow. And you know that's not true, but okay. Oh. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, Chicone didn't lose a ton of time. He's a really strong climber. He's won the climbers competition in this race before. Can he outclimb Bernal? I don't know. I guess we'll see. I, but I don't. I think that between the two of them, he's looking better. I'll just play devil's advocate for a second and say that all the stages so far have been better suited to Chicone, I think, than Nibali. And Nibali at just around about four minutes down right now in the Giro has won a Giro from almost five minutes down uh, with only three stages to go. Uh, so uh, And he's coming back into form, having crashed pretty heavy just before the start of the Giro. So, yeah, uh, I think he was ten. I think there was 10 seconds between them on the line today. So uh, I, th- I don't see a clear-cut decision being made on, on this, even though there probably should be. I, I just don't see Nibbly winning the Giro. I mean, there's too many people in between him and the lead right now and... Yes, Stephen Kreuzvik did crash out on a mountain stage and a bunch of crazy... Ilner Zakharin also sitting third overall when that happened, I think, uh, crashed. And so some crazy things did happen that year, but I don't really see Nibali winning. And if you're not going to win, you might as well shoot for the future. Yeah, crazy things at the moment would happen to ha- have to happen to 13 people in front of him, uh, which is <laughs> probably somewhat unlikely. Uh, that said... You know, I, I, I honestly think that almost everybody in the top 15, uh, actually 15th is Johnny Moscon, so he's not running for GC, but most of the riders in the top 15 still have a chance, if not to win, then certainly to podium at this Giro. It's still all within four or five minutes, and we're talking, yeah, we, we have a long, long, long way to go. That is worth reiterating. I feel like we should talk specifically about the guy in pink, who is significantly ahead uh, after not really having any high mountain climbing stages in this race where he is expected to dominate. Uh, and yeah, maybe his back plays up later in the race, but once this once this race hits altitude, once they're in the real high mountain climbs, I mean, he should be way ahead of everybody else. If he's as far ahead as he has been over these past few climbing stages that haven't even been all that challenging from a vertical gain perspective, he should run away with this race, assuming he can stay healthy. And I feel like it's kind of telling the way that we and also the riders have kind of reacted to the, the events of today. Uh, in, in our you know winners and losers piece, uh, we talked about a bunch of people being winners who were really more like winners in the battle for second. I mean, if you're Simon Yates, you came into this race as a as one of the top two favorites. It was Bernal and Yates, for the bookies at least. And Yates, after today, and his team were talking about it like it was a win. It wasn't a win. They they lost time to Bernal. I mean, Bernal is clearly better than everybody else right now. And the winners, quote unquote, who aren't Bernal are people who are just kind of battling each other for for second right now. Uh, he he's just shown that he's a lot better, and assuming he can stay healthy, I don't really see that changing. Um, I, I don't think anybody's really come close to challenging him yet. It's basically it's going to be Egon Bernal himself who loses this race uh, if if something happens. I, I, it's not going to be somebody I don't think blowing him away uh, from what we've seen so far. 
Do we have more dirt coming up? Because clearly he excels on the dirt. I mean, he won stage nine on the dirt. He looked amazing today. The best thing about him being in pink right now is that he is making an absolute show of of keeping this pink jersey. He looked so awesome today on that on those gravel sections. I mean, there was one point Ghana came around a corner and like clearly was going for it a little bit too hard and had to t- clip his foot out and, and keep himself upright. And Bernal just kind of took that corner like it was pavement. I mean, <laughs> it was awesome to see. I mean... Another reason why more road racers should race cross or mountain bikes or something something that something that gets them used to riding on loose surfaces because these these stages are not going away. I mean the, the you know grant organizers keep popping more and more and more of them in and the ability to put down power on loose surfaces, the ability to get around corners on loose surfaces, these are now skills that are suddenly quite important to a Grand Tour contender. Uh, as we saw with with Evenepoel looking pretty uncomfortable, and granted that might have been a result of his nasty crash nine months ago, but, you know, looked pretty uncomfortable on that dirt today, and it, that's a, likely a, a big part of the reason why he did lose time. Other riders that impressed today, Emmanuel Bookman had a, a great day. Uh, he was able to go off the front near the end there, did obviously get caught by Bernal, but looks like he's kind of coming around had kind of a rough first week of the Giro and and he looked much 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 better today we've seen you know his quality right we've seen his talent uh this is a guy who who has ridden at the very front of Grand Tours for quite a few years now for me he's looking really good for for a podium now uh because I think he's sort of coming into form at the right time as we head into the big mountains Alexander Vlasov, also massively impressive, uh, gained another place today, is now in second, is just sort of rides really quiet, right? You, you sort of hardly notice him during the race, and then you check the GC standings after the, the race finishes up, and oh, there he is. He's moved up another place. He's right there. I think that he is going to continue to do that. He's showed absolutely no weakness so far, and yeah, I, I think he's, he's for me, Bookman and Vlasov are, are the two that I think are are really good shots at, at the remainder of that podium. Worth a mention, though, Hugh Carthy. Uh, one, had a great team effort today. Had a, a huge amount of help from Alberto Betiol, and I think it was Ruben Guerrero was the other EF guy that was up there. They had the most numbers of any team in that front group. Uh, Betiol actually came across the line with Ciccone, two Italian guys, I think kind of kind of uh, hand on his back across the finish line saying, ah, oh, that was okay. Uh, but Betiol had a great ride. Betiol really helped Hugh Carthy sort of pull him back into that group after he got dropped. Um, you know, th- these are not surfaces and, and types of riding that, that Hugh ne- necessarily uh, necessarily specializes in, but that dude is a fighter. I think that that's what we've seen over the last couple of years from him. And he fought all day today. And, and yeah, the, the last week is going to suit him really well. The final time trial is going to suit him very poorly. But the, the, other than that, the last week is going to suit him really well. I was really impressed with the, the team effort from EF today. And I say that, one, just generally, but two, uh, comparatively, to previous EF Grand Tour team efforts. Uh, with apologies to Jonathan Waters, who gives us a lot of great interviews, I don't think we've seen a lot of great team performances from EF in the Grand Tours, where we have a lot of riders working for one guy and doing a good job and putting on pressure on other riders. Uh, they have a lot of strong talent on that team, but we just haven't seen them kind of taking control of races that often. And they really did today put a lot of pressure on other riders. And I think they showed a great team effort. They showed their team-wide talent. Uh, and, and that's a really good sign for both this race and the future. Uh, they have they have good riders on that team. And they have had GC ambitions for years. And we haven't really seen them work out that much. Uh, but 
once you can start putting together these kind of team performances, then you can really start expecting to see a little bit more success in your GC ambitions. And with the rides that we saw from Ruben Guerrero and uh, uh, Betty All, uh, we, we, I think we and they can be pretty optimistic about their chances here. I think Betty All is a huge part of that uh, going forward. You know, I think that riders like that have an outsized effect on, on what you can do with your GC riders, right? Because, you know, he can get over some climbs. He can also just put out a huge number of watts when he needs to get Hugh Carthy back into a group or something like that. I mean, he he can kind of play a role somewhat similar to like a Watt Van Aert at the, at the tour last year, you know, where he can just kind of do everything. He's just a very, very, very strong rider. And EF has kind of needed an individual like that to really help their, their GC efforts. Cause it just, it just plugs so many holes, right? It just fixes so many problems for that team. And having riders like that, I think is very underrated in, in a grand tour setup. They're often, you know, Luke Rowe at Ineos is another perfect example. The, 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 the type of rider who can be there when you really need them, which tends to be after, you know, a decent climb or two. Uh, and also then do the, the sort of heavy lifting and heavy work to pull skinny little GC climber types back into the groups that they need to be in or pull them away from other groups or things like that. So I think Betty All for that team is, is going to be absolutely key to any GC ambitions over the next couple of years. Before we wrap up, I do think it's worth mentioning the guy sitting in third right now, Damiano Caruso, who for me has been kind of like Vlasov. He's been pretty anonymous, kind of hidden away a lot of the time. But like I said, you open up the the GC picture at the end of the day, and there he is. He's still there, right? Uh, you know, he hasn't thrown in any big crazy attacks. He also hasn't been dropped significantly thus far. Looking pretty solid. Uh, that said, you know, he's a rider that we've seen for quite a few years now, and we haven't seen a performance like this. So I'm still kind of thinking that he probably falls off at some point, but pretty impressive ride over the first week. Having been with, uh, he was with BMC for several years and often rode in a support role, and yet over the course of his career, I think he's already racked up three Grand Tour top tens, and in a very... I don't want to say anonymous, but he was he's never been somebody who's really challenged for a win. Uh, but he's definitely been there before. So he has the experience. He's, he's been up in a, in a GC battle before. Uh, so he's not like he's come out of nowhere. And I think that's going to help him over the coming weeks. And also, I don't think we've seen that much from the rest of this field other than Egon Bernal to make me believe that he's, you know, really definitely out of it for the podium. I think he's a legitimate contender for that. Repeated winner of the High Mars Zibeldia Award, which is the award for coming in seventh without anyone having seen you bike race the entire month. That is... <laughs> he, he, he has, <laughs> if I remember right, he's been top three in all three Grand Tours, but never higher than eighth. Uh, and he's been eighth, ninth, and tenth. So yeah, it's uh, he, he flies onto the radar, but perhaps this is the year where we see him jump from eighth to the podium and just completely bypass the, uh, the Mikel Landa fourth to seventh position stay <laughs> you don't want the Mika Lando award the Mika Lando award's a bummer so, I mean the Zubeldia award's kind of a bummer too <laughs> to be perfectly honest I always remember Zubeldia being fifth though never anything other than fifth but that, that, that's not a fact that's just the way I remember it <laughs> I feel like he was seventh all the time but again this is the fact that we can't really remember is probably indicative of exactly what we're saying here uh, before we before we do finally wrap up who won the stage today should we talk about Schmid? Schmidt? Schmidt? Another Swiss stage winner. Nice uh, after Gino Mater. Nice grand tour for the Swiss. Neo Pro. It is, this is his first pro win. Not a bad way to get your first pro win on a dramatic 
Stradivianca-esque stage 11 of the Giro d'Italia. So he races in his first Grand Tour this year and gets his first Grand Tour win this year at the age of 21, uh, which is, I don't know, I, I wasn't winning Grand Tour stages when I was 21. Uh, so that's pretty cool for Malro. I mean, hardly any. Yeah, like a couple, but not that many. <laughs> well, I know now, having watched that finish, how impressive that sprint to the line was. You know, he clearly just, you know, two up sprint. Uh, he was by and far the strongest there, led it out, if in doubt, led it out. Uh, and he powered all the way right to the line. It was as if he was sprinting for GC time, but obviously he's not like, but it was a hugely incredible sprint or a hugely impressive sprint, sorry. And, and just because it was his first pro win, it doesn't mean he's not experienced. He's, he was the uh, Swiss under-23 national champion a few years ago. Clearly has some some racing in the legs, uh, just not so much as a pro. But enough racing on the legs that he's already got his emphatic finish line celebration down to a science. That, that was a great celebration we saw today. I mean, a lot of him, he kind of looked angry even, the amount of emotion on his face. But it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. Made for a great photo. So uh, he's got a big future ahead of him. If he can keep winning bike races... Uh, doing some great finish line post-ups. But at the same time, he also rode all the way through the line, which some riders, even you know, mid-20s world champions, haven't figured that one out yet. So good on <laughs> Mauro Schmidt for, for doing that in his first win. I like the finish line celebration that was kind of like a big like a condor, like yeah. a big wing thing going on. I don't know if that was what he was going for, or, but it was great. I appreciated it. And yeah, the, the finish line shot with his arms like down and sort of screaming at, at the sky, that was a, a solid one. I, I always feel like you know if you're if you're a, a new pro at some point you're hopefully going to win something. This is you should have considered what your finish line celebration is going to look like. Otherwise, you end up with something weird accidentally, right? I'm surprised these guys don't practice it. We've all done it out on rides by ourselves. You know, thought about oh yeah, you know, the post up. You know, so I'm, I'm sure every every young pro knows what they're going to do when they cross the line. I think I do. At least at least ride. they think they do. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd do like the Juan Antonio Fletcher like arrow thing, you know, just like shoot it off at the stands. Nice. I want to post up on yeah. Flagstaff with a camera one of these days and see if I can catch you doing it with nobody's around. <laughs> I do it every time I cross the mailboxes over Superflag. Yeah, just you know, pull an arrow out of my out of my invisible quiver, just shoot it off into space. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, if I get to the mailboxes, I don't. Really, I'm not even like conscious anymore. I'm I'm already I'm dead at that point. <laughs> You'd have yeah. to take the urban arrow to get up there. <laughs> Sorry, no, that was an insult. I apologize. You know, there's a lot of discussion over the winter, and we're going in a bit of a tangent here, and I do want to wrap up this special episode because I'm trying to keep them short-ish. But there's a lot of discussion sort of from last year where the style of racing really changed because nobody was sure if tomorrow's stage was going to happen, for example, throughout the entire Tour de France. And everybody was kind of racing every single day like it was the last day of racing. And I think that's kind of, it's kind of stayed through this season and it's made for a bit sort of less predictable stage racing. Granted, the Giro is less predictable most of the time anyway, but if you look at that result sheet, that this is more random and more chaotic and more or less predictable than I think most Giro years, right? We, we do have this sort of uh, wider array of teams that have won, wider array of riders that have won, a bunch of riders who have are either in their Grand Tour debut or have never won a, a, a pro race before who have taken stage victories. 
There's like this weird stuff happening in this Jiro, and I think that those two things are related. I, I do think that last year and and the, the sort of strange COVID year changed fundamentally kind of the way that this this current Peloton is racing, and maybe it'll change back over the course of a couple years, but right now, it certainly feels a little bit different to me. All right, that's my final thought for today. As always, keep an eye out for more of these Jiro special episodes. If you are not already a Velo Club member, join. It's what supports this podcast, supports lots of other podcasts that we make, supports lots of the work that we do at Cycling Tips, allows us to be independent, and it's just massively important for everything that we do. So if you were not already a Velo Club member, please consider joining. I believe the Giro t-shirt offer is still in effect. Uh, I should double check on that before we put it in this episode, but I'm going to put it in there anyway. Pretty sure you can still get a special Giro Cycling Tips t-shirt with your Velo Club membership. So head over to cyclingtips.com slash sign up. Become a Velo Club member. We appreciate it. On that note, just really quick before you sign off, Kaylee, keep an eye out for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There will be daily podcasts on the freewheeling channel for the Vuelta a Burgos, the first stage race on the Women's World Tour calendar. Amy, Lauren, and I are going to be doing daily episodes, and we have rider diaries from Neve Fisher-Black of SD Works, Brody Chapman of FDJ Devella Aquitaine Futuroscope, and Heidi Franz from Rally Cycling. So keep an eye out for those because um, it's looking like it's going to be a really exciting race. Should be superb racing. And as Abby said, we'll have daily episodes. So if you are not already subscribed to Freewheeling, go open up your podcast app, hit subscribe on that, and make sure you don't miss them. All right, we'll be back next week at the latest, possibly before then, if anything else crazy happens at the Giro. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Bye-bye.